0: Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jean, and I'm one of the pastors here at Exilic. And uh, I hope your summer is going well so far. I think summers in New York City are always an interesting time. In many ways, the city slows down for a much-needed break, right? So many New Yorkers, they leave the city in July and August. Companies, they take a breather with summer Fridays. And the city that never stops, the city that never sleeps, at least it feels like it sort of takes a breath. So in our church, too, the summer is when we take a break, a breath, We take a break from our normal rhythms, like community groups or structured sermon series. So today, since I'm not bound to a specific topic or a passage, I thought it might be good for us to kind of take a step back to look at the big picture. So I'm not going to look today at what the Bible says about generosity or what this specific passage is adding to the larger book, but today we can look at the forest And we can see what the Christian life is all about. And in our psalm today, we find one of the most apt descriptions of the Christian life, of the believer's life. We talked about it in our Affirmation of Faith today. But the Christian life is a waiting life. The Christian people are a waiting people. You know, the entire thrust of the Bible is pointing us forward. We've been talking a lot about Genesis 3 and the fall lately. Well, Adam and Eve, they're expelled from the Garden of Eden, but even as they're exiled, God promises a future Savior. And all of the Old Testament is anticipating that Savior. Who's the Savior going to be? What's He going to be like? What will He do? How will He do it? And then Jesus comes in the New Testament. He lives, he dies to save his people. And after his resurrection, he ascends to the Father. But he promises to return. And the very last chapter of the uh, last book of the Bible is Revelation. And there, the Apostle John sees the ascended Jesus. And in the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says three times, Behold, I am coming Soon. We often call it the second coming of Jesus. But you know, the New Testament writers, they never use that term, the second coming. It's always referred to as the coming. Christ has already come, but his kingdom is not yet consummated. That day is coming. And all of the Bible, it points us forward to that reality. And our call as Christians is to await that day. So this psalm, it describes that experience of waiting and longing. It's one of the Psalms of Ascent. And the Psalms of Ascent, there are 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And every year in Israel, people would come from all over the country to Jerusalem three times. There were three really important feasts on the Jewish calendar. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So think Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. So during these holidays, for these holidays, the Israelites would walk to Jerusalem And Jerusalem is on a mountain, and as they approached and ascended to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms of ascent. And what these psalms said was, the journey's almost over. We're nearly there. The reality is before us. These songs were reminders of what was before them, feasting, celebrating family. They pushed people to keep going because it was right there. Wait just a little bit longer. That is the Christian life. If you think about it, we are all right now on the doorstep of eternity. All of us at most have a handful of decades left here in this life, and then eons Billions upon billions of years in celebration and feasting and family. This psalm encourages us keep waiting. It's almost over. The end is right there. And it shows us how to wait. We don't just wait in bed with the covers over our heads. We don't twiddle our thumbs and wait idly. The psalm shows us what our waiting should look like. And it says four things, crying, listening, hoping, and telling. First, crying. Look at verse 1 and 2. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. You know, this world is broken. Suffering, sin, death, all around us. But the ideal Christian isn't the one who's happy-go-lucky all the time. It isn't someone who denies the suffering of this world. The true Christian is someone who clings to joy in the midst of suffering. A true believer cries. But a true believer doesn't just cry alone. The true believer cries To the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The psalmist is in the depths and he cries out to God. We don't know what the circumstances are, but we know that there's a desperation to his pleas. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. He's saying, Listen to me, hear me. He's distraught. And I wanna ask you, who do you cry to in your depths? Are you alone in your tears? Are you alone in your depths? Or are you crying out to God? You know, this past week I was reading the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Do you know this story? Elijah, he pronounces a drought over all the land that was going to last a few years. So the rain stops, streams dry up, and of course famine comes. And God sends Elijah out, and Elijah meets a widow who's gathering sticks. And he asks her for some water and some bread, a piece of bread. And what he comes to find out is she's actually gathering sticks because all she has left is a handful of flour and a tiny bit of olive oil. She's gathering sticks to make a fire, to bake a little bit of bread so that she and her son can have a last meal together before they die. Can you imagine her tears as she looks at her son, knowing that she has nothing left to give him, knowing that they are both going to die? And after hearing this, Elijah says, Yeah, go do that. But first... Take what you have, make me a loaf of bread, and then use whatever you have left for yourself and your son. Savage. That sounds so cruel and heartless. But what Elijah is telling her is this. You are in your depths right now. You're crying out. But let me tell you who you can cry to, someone who can actually save you. We need to bring our cries to God from our depths. But you know what's interesting is this is one of my favorite Psalms. I've always read this Psalm and I've always understood depth to be like really hard circumstances. I always thought of this verse as describing someone who's going through a hard time and he cries out to God to help him. But Augustine, in his commentary, he defines depths a little bit differently. He talks about the depths as being far away, distant from God. So here's what he says. He says, for this mortal life is our deep. Whoever hath understood himself to be in the deep, crieth out, groaneth, sigheth, until he be delivered from the deep. And come unto him who sitteth above all the deeps, for they are very deep in the deep, who do not even cry out, From the deep. Here's what Augustine is saying. He's saying this. All of us are in the depths right now, no matter what you're going through. Just by virtue of being human, you are in the depths. But there are those who are deeper in the depths than others. And those are the ones who do not cry out from the depths. Either they don't know they're in the depths, they think life is pretty great, they think they don't need God, or because they're crying out to the wrong people, to the wrong gods. You know, I, was, I was talking to someone last week, and I said, remember how great the pandemic was? COVID was awesome. I miss it. And I, I was, I was kind of half-joking, Because it was a crazy time, it was painful, it was scary, the whole world was kind of afraid, but we all shared in that collective grief, fear, pain, and uncertainty. And as a pastor, it was stressful, but at the same time, people were reaching out to us. Did you know that our online services every week had over a thousand views? People signed on every weekday at noon to pray together. And this is really sad thinking about this, but there are a lot of people who I saw on Zoom during the pandemic regularly that I haven't seen since then. And that's not because they've moved away from New York. I know they're around, but what's gone is their need for God. That's not there anymore. So in many ways, it was much easier ministering to people in their fear than in their apathy. And that's not just me. God says the same thing. It's very interesting how God talks about the wilderness period for Israel. Remember the wilderness period? They spent 40 years wandering the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt. And it must have been a miserable existence. Aimless wandering, constant fear from enemies. Not knowing if they'll have enough water, if they'll have enough food. But when God talks about it, he talks about it like I talk about my honeymoon. Remember how great it was? Look at Jeremiah 2. God says this, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. You know, the people, they didn't have comforts, they didn't have luxuries, but they knew that they needed God and could not survive without Him. They cried out to Him because they had no one else to cry out to. Friends, the scariest place that we can be The deepest depth that we can fall to is that place where we don't think we need God or we don't want to cry out to Him. And I know it's not easy. I know all of us have experienced a struggle when it comes to a consistent prayer life. I know what it feels like to pray and feels like no one's listening or it feels like God's just really far away but we have to push through. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's pushing through. He's not giving up. If you look closely, he interchanges the names of God in this psalm. In verse 1, he says he uses Yahweh. And in verse 2, he switches to Adonai. Both are translated Lord in the English, but if you look closely at your English Bible, you'll see that Yahweh is translated Lord in all capital letters. And what's going on here, it's as though he's really searching for God. He's desperate to be heard. God, Lord, Yahweh, Adonai. He's he's trying all of God's numbers. He's, He's trying all the names. He's texting, calling, emailing, and DMing God. He's desperate to reach Him. Please hear me. need to cry out to him. We need to push through. But the waiting life is not just crying out to God. Just as important is listening to God. If you notice in this psalm, it begins by addressing God in the second person, you. But the pronouns shift halfway through to the third person. Because relationship with God is not just a subjective experience of God but it's an objective listening and learning about God. So in verse 1, he says, I cry out to you, O Lord. But in verse 5, he says, But in his word, I put my hope. It's not enough just to know that you have a need for God, but you have to know how he can meet that need. It's not enough just to cry out to God. You have to know how he can save you. Verse three and four, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Friends, there is forgiveness. God doesn't keep a record of our sins. We are accepted. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are saved. You know, my oldest son, Andy, he's now nine years old, and he's going to summer camp this summer. And my wife have been just, and and I, we've been just really nervous every day because for the first time, he's going to camp with older kids up to eighth grade. And he's still our baby. Andy was homeschooled through the pandemic. So there's this constant fear of what he might see, what he might pick up, what he might hear. And I think we have to just get comfortable with the reality that he's going to be exposed to things that we don't want him to be exposed to. All these competing values, worldviews, and ideas. But the best we can do is really just solidify that he hears and he learns the truth from us so that when he does hear something harmful, he'll have the wisdom, he'll have the conviction to discern between right and wrong. And the same is true for us in this waiting life. We wait for our Savior's return, but as we wait, we are incessantly exposed to alternative visions of success, happiness, and salvation. If we're not anchored in God's word, there's no way that we're going to be able to faithfully wait for Him. Because you know what the world's not good at doing? It's waiting. The world says, don't wait. Have your joy now. Take pleasure now. Get what you want now. There's so many offers for pleasure, fulfillment, that are instant and contrary to what God calls us to. The psalmist says in verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word... I hope, when we study his word, when we love his word, what we discover is this, God is better. He's better than all of the world's charms. You know, I was reminded of this a few months ago when I, like you, received the tragic news that uh, Tim Keller had passed after battling cancer. And it's so interesting because... Right after I, I, I saw that, I was on Twitter, and, and moments later, I, the first headline I saw right after that was, Jay-Z and Beyonce have purchased the most expensive home in California history for $200 million. And in that moment, right in front of me were two competing visions of greatness. One man loved the word, Devoted his life to making others love God's word. On the other side, you have two people at the pinnacle of worldly success and fame. They they literally have nothing left to achieve. But in that moment, it was so clear to me which path was better. And I thought this. I said, yeah, Beyonce and Jay-Z, enjoy your $200 million home. But Tim's home is incomparably better because his new home was not $200 million, but it was bought with the blood of the lamb. That's not just his home. That's your home if you believe in him. Where is your hope? Is it in the dreams, the ambitions, the joys of this world? Or is it in the Word of God, which is so much better? And the way you answer that question, it really defines the nature of your waiting. You know, the Apostle Paul was able to say that for him to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's actually better for him to die but very few of us see death as gain for us. And this is because our hope is often in this life and in this world. You know, if you think about it, hope is not just something you have. It's a verb. It's an action. It's something you do. You hope for something. You hope in something. This past week, someone in downtown L.A. won the Powerball jackpot it was over a billion dollars. After tax it, that's like $25. <laughs> no, it, it comes out to, I think it was like over 400 million, more than any person can spend in their lifetime. A whole lot of money. Now, this person doesn't have that money yet because the ticket hasn't been presented, no funds have been transferred. But I can guarantee that all this person is thinking about right now is how he or she will spend that fortune. What am I going to buy? Who am I going to spoil? How is my life going to change? That's what hope looks like. It's counting the eternal inheritance and enjoying it now. It's not just a future heavenly reward, but we enjoy it now in faith. That is what waiting in hope looks like. It's not just, I don't want to die. I don't want to think about death. But it's thinking about that new home. It's knowing what's coming. It's letting the hope of that get us through whatever darkness we face. Look at verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in His word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. You know, watchmen, they wait for the morning because that's when the dangers of night are gone and they can rest from their labors. What gets them through the uncertainty of darkness and night? Well, the coming light. You know, the psalmist, he waits for the Lord even more, he says, than a watchman waits for the morning. Because watchmen, they wait for a morning that will soon become afternoon, then evening, and then night returns. But the psalmist waits for the Lord in whom there is no night. No darkness. Look at Revelation 21. Here's what the Apostle John says. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. That day is coming and we wait for it in hope. Verses 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I love how this psalm ends. You know, it began with the psalmist in the depths crying out to God, God, desperate, but it ends with the psalmist preaching. He's joyfully sharing good news with others. You know, we often think about sharing good news as it's good for them. They need to hear it so they believe. But what happens when we share something good with others? Well, it enhances our enjoyment of what we're sharing. Isn't that true? When we discover a new restaurant, what do we want to do? We want to take our friends there. We want to sit there and watch as they take that first bite and their eyes just light up and then that makes the meal so much better for me. When you watch that new TV show, you love it. You can't wait to talk about it with others. The communal enjoyment of something enhances our experience of it. The psalmist's hope is in the Lord. It's so good that he proclaims it to all Israel. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, full redemption. God's love is unfailing his redemption is full. He will redeem Israel. He himself will redeem Israel. He won't ask anyone else to do it. God doesn't outsource our salvation. He rolls up his sleeves. He does it himself. Jesus Christ, our Savior, became like us. He lived that life that we failed to live. He died the death that we should have died. He climbed into our grave to bring us out of it. Full redemption. The Lamb has done it all. Church, put your hope in the Lord. His love is unfailing. All, not some, of your sins are redeemed and paid for. Christ has come. Christ has lived. Christ has died. Christ has risen from the grave. Christ will come again for us. Cry out to him. Listen to his word. Hope in his salvation and tell it to all who will hear. Wait for the Lord. More than watchmen, wait for the morning. More than watchmen, wait for the morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. May we delight in that hope. May we savor that hope. May we enjoy that hope. Now, may we share that hope. And may we wait faithfully for that day that's coming. It's so close. Remind us of that every week because we forget. Thank you for this reminder. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.